Look, I don't think any athlete starts their career with uh, knowing where it's going to go. You know, there's obviously those freak athletes that know they have amazing talent, but for the majority of us, sport is started through, through as an outlet to have fun, to enjoy yourself, and it just morphs into into you setting yourself personal goals and improving week in, week out. And, and that's what I call your own impossible. Welcome to The Greg Bennett Show, presented by Any Question. I'm your host, Greg Bennett, and I've just had a, a really fun conversation with a, with a longtime friend and peer, that somebody I used to race for many, many years, uh, Chris McCormack. Uh, Chris was first on the show way back at the start of 2020, uh, three years ago now, and then he was on a year later again, but we haven't spoken for two years. We do give some fairly strong opinions on the athletes of today and the events of today. Um, We have a bit of banter. Uh, This episode is probably less about Chris's journey into the sport and his career because we've done that um, already in past episodes. So this one's more the two of us just discussing the world of triathlon. Before we get right into the world of triathlon, we do kind of look at everything that Chris is up to, and it just blows me away, everything that he has going on from running the Super League triathlon series to Phoenix Foundation, which is, you know, the the charitable arm that he works with, Um, and then, of course, all his work with Bahrain Endurance, but it's just... A really fun conversation. A little bit of housekeeping before we go on. Uh, I'd love any feedback you can give me. I'm always happy to discuss on you know Instagram messages. If you want to DM me, I, 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 I do my best to get back to you. If you think I'm doing a great job, I'd, I'd love a, a review on Apple. That'd be fantastic. It just helps position this show higher on the rankings. Um, so you'd be doing me a huge favor if you did that. And finally, I'd love you to go check out Any Question. You go to anyquestion.com. Go check it out um, or, or download Any Question on iOS or Android. And there you'll find some of the greatest athletes in the world in, in swimming, cycling, track and field running, um, hockey, and surfing. We have so many sporting channels, but we also have new channels in the world of pets. Uh, if you own a dog, we have some of the world's greatest dog trainers giving advice. Uh, they're there to answer any questions you do have. But we do have about 45,000 answers uh, across 20 plus different channels. So go check it out. Um, and we'd love your feedback on any question as well. And, uh, you know, it's a, we're building it to the world and, and it's a, uh, a fascinating place. We now have over 750 of the world's greatest thought leaders and people that have incredible experience to share with you. So, so go check it out. That's any question. Until next time, I hope you enjoyed this one as much as I did. And remember, success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. All right. Today I'm joined by one of the all-time greatest to ever do the sport of triathlon, winning ITU World Championship titles in both the Olympic and the long distances and two Ironman World Championship titles. Add to those world titles and he's somebody that won hundreds of events around the world and just a truly remarkable career. He's been a prevalent 
in business world as he was in racing. He's the CEO and co-founder of Manor Sports and Entertainment Group, one of the founders of the Super League Triathlon Series, sits on the board of the Phoenix Foundation, is the consultant and spokesperson for Bahrain Endurance, and he launched his MX Endurance online training platform and community over 10 years ago. It's unbelievable. I don't know how he does it all. And he's been on the show twice before, but not for over two years. And you can find those episodes in episode number eight, way back in February 17, 2020, and episode 55 in uh, January 11th, 2021. So over 100 episodes ago, it's been a long time coming since he's been back on the show, but he's been a friend of mine for, well, I think almost 30 years now. Um, I'm, I'm really dating ourselves actually by saying that. And honestly, we raced each other all around the world, had many head-to-head battles, and he always got the best out of me, for which I'm just really grateful for. Um, It's just an enormous honor and privilege to have him back on the show. So welcome. And thanks for joining me on The Greg Bennett Show, Chris McCormack, aka Macca. How are you, mate? Good, Ben. How are you? Well, you've done some talking then. I think it's about 160 episodes now. Yeah, it's... Yeah, it's it's been fun, mate. You know, I've been so fortunate to just have really wonderful conversations with really amazing people every week. And especially through those COVID years, it was nice to have an adult conversation. Um, yeah. so, <laughs> but where are you, mate? Where are you calling me from? Sydney. I'm in Sydney. COVID brought us back to Australia. Oh. We were living up in Thailand and then my oldest daughter was at boarding school in Australia and we used to come home every three weeks to see her, mm. one of us. And then I remember coming home and ringing my wife in Thailand with my other two kids and saying, I think they're going to shut the borders down here, and they did. And they locked us in Australia for two years, so our whole life got sort of swung around on a on a swivel, and my other two kids are now doing school, and we've settled back in Sydney. So mm. I haven't, haven't lived here, as we said before the show, I haven't lived here for like 25, 30 years, you know, being away. <laughs> so it, it was quite an adjustment, even though I have an Australian passport, and I've always been a proud Australian. It's when you, when you grow up as an expat, I guess, in, mm. it, it's quite difficult adjustment coming home. Yeah, are you planning to stay there for a while or are you looking to, to go anywhere else? Um, the kids are at school, so yeah. Talia's finished now. She's at university, and uh, but Sienna, my middle, has got two more years left. She's doing her IB, mm-hmm. and then Flynn's just about to start high school. So where we would like to leave when Flynn wants to go back to, to Asia, but we, we won't go for another couple of years until at least Sienna's finished school and we'll, we'll assess then. But yeah. yeah, for us, I don't think we'll sit in one spot. I think you sort of live that vagabond life as uh-huh. an athlete and, uh-huh. and in business. I think we'll, um, when the kids are sort of grown up, I'm sure they're going to go their different ways with work and study. We'll, Emma and I are probably based between Australia and, and Asia and, and Europe between those, you know. It's funny, isn't it? You, you get so used to that vagabond lifestyle, like you said, and, and you get itchy feet wherever you are. I'm kind of, I, I actually looked back and I think I went almost 23 years where the longest I ever stayed in one place was three or four months at a time. Even though we had yeah. a house in Boulder or we had a house in Noosa or whatever, we, we were never in them because you, you, you were always, you know, gallivanting around the world and, and your lifestyle from being, well, one, a professional athlete and then now with everything I mentioned in the, in the intro, I mean, you're still clocking up the miles traveling, right? And from Sydney, that makes some some long trips. Yeah, I have been actually. It's yeah, my lifestyle hasn't really changed since I retired from a traveling perspective. Mm. I definitely live a bit more. I'm not so um, hard on myself on what I eat or mm. you know mm-hmm. than I used to. But but yeah, the actual travel and that stimulus you get from moving around and the different people you meet, I've still been able to fulfil that. Yeah, I enjoy it, you know, and I, my business partners often said to me, I think as an athlete, you always think one day I'm going to go home. So there's always this, mm. it's like the oasis on the horizon. Oh, I'm going to move home. And when it's all over, I'm going to move home. And 
but you just keep kicking that can down the road. And actually, when you do, you think, oh, it's a bit different than what I what I remembered. And my, my, business, <laughs> my business guy actually said it to me. He's like, why do you want to be in the one spot? You've never lived like that. Why would you yeah. do that to yourself? You don't have to do that. And I never really thought about life like that. And I said, you know what, you're right. And so, yeah, I think it's, whilst it's a different way than many people live, I, I, we enjoy it as a family because it's sort of all we've ever really known. I actually think it can also bring your family together and be closer to yeah. moving. It's I've seen it with a lot of friends that were either Navy brats or, you know, my brother and his family have had to move. He's a chaplain and so he moves from different high school to high school. And, they've, and I'm kind of like their families are so tight and well connected because they've, they've, they've always had each other as a core. It's not about creating certain friends and having them for 12 years throughout the entire amount of school. So I think there's some positives potentially to it. I don't know. No, I agree. I absolutely agree with that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Laura and I talk about, you know, our, our kids are only two and four. We're about to turn three and five. And so we're, we, but we kind of look at it. We want to be almost in a place for every kind of little category of age group that they're going to be in um, and spend a few years in each place and, and just keep moving. And again, I, th- I think it's just something we all got used to that we can create yeah, yeah. a home. We're, we're very good at creating homes quickly. Do you think? Like, uh, we're yeah, oh, without, yeah, without question. Yeah. yeah, you integrate into, into places because that's all you've ever known. You sort yeah. of come in, you find your bearings when we used to from a training perspective and, and then you meet your friends and you meet them at the pool and you, yeah. and you just sort of, yeah, you're exactly right. You make homes everywhere you go. And and, uh, and my kids grew up on the – my kids are a bit older, right? They grew up on the circuit, so they were very used to moving around. Yeah. You know, my daughter went to school in the States. She went to school in Asia. She went to school wow. school in Australia. So they've, they've had quite a, a, a mix of – of exposure to, to different things. And, and I, I do at the times being back here, and I guess COVID did it to everybody, think, oh, well, you, you do see the, the great things about living in the one spot, like I am here in Australia, and I do see the negative side of it where yeah. it's very much one view, one, you know, you don't see the bigger, the bigger, broader world out there that my kids have been exposed to without question. So. Yeah, yeah. No, it's great. You and I are very much on the same page as that. Maybe we just got to get a few homes to uh, roll around the world and we just share them. <laughs> we just rotate. All right, we're going here for four months. You want this one? Yeah. I got, yeah. A, I got some work to do. <laughs> well, well, mate, I, I, today's episode, I, I wrote you because I, I, I wanted to, um, you know, like I said in the intro, we've known each other a long time. We've both been incredibly passionate about the sport of triathlon for a long, long time. And I thought what we could do in this episode is basically I'll, I'll pitch some questions out to the both of us and almost open it up for discussion and share our views, if you like. But before I do that, I, I, I wanted to just get a, you know, dive in just quickly about, you know, what you're up to with Manor Sports and the Entertainment Group and Super League and, and the Phoenix Foundation. So tell me, how's the Super League been, been going for you? I mean, I, I watch it. I've had people like Hayden Wilde on the show who's been absolutely, you know, he comes from Super League, if you ask me. You guys developed that guy. How's that all going? It's, it's good. It's, it's great. It's established now without question. It was very difficult during COVID, obviously, mm. with the lack of events worldwide. But we had the funding there. So, yeah, we survived COVID. We pivoted and, and created an Arena Games, which is an online version using Swift, um, mm-hmm. which now we've aligned with World Triathlon as a push towards the LA Olympics. As a lot of these Olympic sports are trying to pivot into this, I mean, God, not visual world, but this uh, mm-hmm. online sports world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was good. So the Super League has been a – look, I think Super League for me was a – as you said earlier, I, I, I sort of left the sport of triathlon I. I love it. You know, it's been my life. I, I'm forever grateful to, to, to triathlon because my, my friend groups are from triathlon. My life is from triathlon. And, and I, th- I saw 
Super League is sort of not my giving back to it, but I, I, I was still able to push my passion into what I, mm-hmm. I loved. And I still believe the best racing I did was that short course racing. It's yeah. the most, yeah. it's the best pathways racing for young kids. I, I get it that Ironman racing is where all that, you have a midlife crisis, you end up doing Ironman, and that's where a lot of the people sort of live in the Ironman world. Yeah, yeah. But as a young junior, I was always inspired to to chase short course. You know, Greg Welsh did amazing things, McKeeley Jones, yeah. and, and we sort of came along. And that young generation of kids, they're not looking at Ironman going, oh, God, geez, I can't wait to do that. Hmm. You know, I do believe you, you need these short course high-performance routes. So I, I really wanted to push that with Super League. So, yeah, it's been going well overall. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Well, any, big, any big plans on the horizon, 2024? The lucky or? thing, I guess, for triathletes nowadays is there's such a full racing calendar, oh, right? It's amazing. And there's so many events that they can do. And, so you know, there's PTO events and there's Ironman events and there's World Triathlon events and there's World Cup events and there's like, everything. And then there's Super League events now. And it's a matter of working with, you know, the, the, the push and pull of, of working within that ecosystem of so many stakeholders. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and in the beginning, I used to come at it from the, from the athlete's perspective and go, oh, look, they probably don't want to race here. We should put it here. Let's all work together. But I realised you don't have that luxury. It's mm-hmm. basically there's a certain amount of weekends empty on a, on a, in a year take it or, or lose it to some mm-hmm. degree. So mm-hmm. it's not really any cohesion amongst the stakeholders within the sport. They definitely exist as individual entities and they do what they want when they want, which was not what I was hoping. It was not the utopia I was hoping to get to in, in triathlon per se. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll have six events next year. We, we still want to stay like the Champions League of Racing and, and my aim or our aim is to, is to pivot it into that team's direction, bringing on team sponsors and, and giving younger athletes the opportunity to make an income from being, you know, take a, a, a in our eight days, a, a Benjamin Sanson type athlete who was a fantastic swim biker mm. and wasn't the greatest runner but could finish top 10 in races and was always at the forefront. In Super League racing with team dynamics, I want to make sure those athletes, we can showcase those athletes, people are aware of who they are, understand their skill set, and they can make a living off the back or make some funding, some money mm. off the back of our racing. So. That's awesome, buddy. Well, congrats on all you're doing there. I, I think it's fantastic and I do see it as you – giving back because I see it, you know, like you mentioned, you and I grew up with that in the nineties and we both got so much from it and, and yeah. that it, it was missing from the, the world of triathlon. And I, I think you at the helm, it, it's been wonderful that you, you've brought that back. Um, and just to see young athletes like a Hayden Wild and an Alex Yee and these guys come through, it's really been fantastic to see them develop. Um, so it's great that you got that. Now tell me about the, the Phoenix Foundation and, and what you're doing there. Uh, Phoenix Foundation is a foundation. We, we launched that in 2019. It was basically because uh, I was so triathlon obsessed and I saw so many opportunities in other sports. When I say opportunities, I saw so much talent in other sports. You know, working with a friend of mine, who was keen to to do some philanthropic work. He He's a high net worth individual. And we talked about forming a foundation that, in, that empowered kids to do sport, especially as we, we just, COVID had just, there was a discussion in Asia around COVID at the time. And, and he was looking at all the numbers around sports participation dropping off amongst young kids and esports taking over and, you know, his best memories within sports and how we knew each other through sports. And, and we we're just talking on a bike ride. And uh, he, he'd come into, contact he'd lost his father and he came into contact with a lot of money and he wanted to do that and so the phoenix foundation was born and we we started and then covid struck us and, mm. and it's basically it's all about empowering kids to participate in sport and do sports and breaking down those barriers so we started initially with having kids events where it was free entry mm. to, to do the race just putting the events on and having kids participate 
And then we moved into the schools programs during, during COVID where we became basically the physical education kids were at home and we had all these YouTube channels with all these stars and, and, you know, we had more than a million kids go through our online application, online app to, to do PE at school when, when, um, when COVID was on and that sort of was the catalyst. And then we started building new programs out and yeah, we've, we've raised oh, almost a 80 million euro wow. uh, over the last couple of years to give away. We've put events on and, and he's, he's a, he's a very well connected individual and very driven around doing really positive stuff for kids. And our, our big program was going to Beijing and Tokyo Olympics for a lot of underdeveloped nations. They don't have the high performance funding. So we have 10,000 euro with a funding over two years that young athletes can can apply for, and we just pay for their sports and their travel, and that sent more than 107 athletes to the Olympics. Wow! That would never have gone. So it's a really cool. I love it. And what what I, what's opened my eyes is the amount of talent there are in so many other sports, and and you know that, right? But mm-hmm. until you see it and you're exposed to it, you think, wow, you, you you do get you do have blinkers on at times, and just just focus on the sports you know. But there's so many talented young athletes out there that are. They're getting up every single day and, and, and are not only inspirations to themselves, but they're from these villages and, and towns and they inspire a lot of people, a lot of kids that look up to them and and they're just in, just empowering mm. them and giving them those opportunities that they would never have had has been really, really cool. So that's that is a, so cool. That's a yeah, well, it's, it's what kind of regions of the world are these kids coming from? Is it all over or is it? Sort of- it's all over. He's, he's really bullish, you know, like we were during COVID, Sebastian was like, oh, we need to do more. We need to go. I'm like, hey, Seb, you know, there's a global pandemic happening at the moment and it's quite hard <laughs> and, and, uh, and it's hard to get around. But at the moment, we're all for Europe and Asia. We're going into India this year in 2023 and uh, we'll be moving into South America and into the United States of America in 2024, 25. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a multitude of programs that they'll check out the website, but we, we sponsor some of the big athletes of the world. Mm. They, when we say sponsor, we, they become an ambassador and we tell their story because a lot of people's stories, as you know, a lot of great athletes, they weren't always, everyone just assumes they were superstar athletes from, yeah. Yeah, from young kids. It's not the case. Yeah. You know, and hearing and having kids see their stories and understanding that failure is a big part of everything they do is, it's pretty cool. Yeah, and it's all, I love that because it's also, I was talking to Laura about that this morning. Everybody just thinks, well, I can't relate to that person because they're just so talented. And it's like, yep. no, 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 no. Let's share the story about how this, I mean, that's kind of what I do on this show to some degree is show, look, these are kind of normal people. They might have a little bit of talent, but honestly, that that commitment and work ethic and just turning up and really being passionate about wanting to achieve is really what has made them great. Um, yeah. But how fun, mate. I think that's that's a pretty cool project. And, and then, okay, Bahrain Endurance. You've been with them. You've been working with them, what, seven, eight years now? You, it's been the ninth season. Ninth yeah, season nine. Yeah. We went back again. So, yeah. Yeah, they're doing great. He's Michael Gilliam, MG. He lives up there. He works directly with yeah. – he's a business partner of mine and I've been in, in – I've been in my triathlon career since I was like 18. So. Yeah, I've known Mick Gilliam, I think, since <laughs> the, <laughs> the late 80s. <laughs> yeah, he resides in, in Bahrain, works alongside the royal family there. And, yeah, we do a lot of their sports mergers and acquisitions. So they're moving heavily into acquiring a lot of that region of the world sports assets, mm. uh, you know, football teams. They do a lot in, 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 in horse riding. MG's going to the Magic Millions, for example, looking at buying horses for the, for the royal family up there and, and then we do a lot of the – we encourage them to maybe invest or buy because they're building a massive sports city. So the whole foundation behind the whole Middle East and for what everyone thinks, you know, Saudi Arabia and the middle and Dubai and Abu Dhabi and all these places, mm. they're, they're trying to evolve, right? They're trying to pivot mm. and they realise they're running out of – not running out of oil, but the world is – they need to pivot and change. 
and they're doing a pretty good job. Like, you know, they could do a better job, but mm. they're doing a pretty good job of moving quite rapidly. And, and a lot of the younger generation, and this is the conversation I have with a lot of people, a lot of the leaders of that part of the world, they were Bedouin people. They were living in the desert, you know, mm. 60 years ago. They're not hyper-educated people, but their kids are, you know, and the kids are the next leaders. So we're working with the next generation who are going to be the future kings and future future wow. leaders of this region of the world. And they're all English-educated they're highly educated kids mm. that, that understand the problems of the region but also communicate and understand the importance of sport places within the world mm-hmm. and realising when they build these sports cities and, you know, you just saw Qatar with the World Cup of football, whatever you thought of it, but mm. it's they realise sport unites the world and, and, and we have – and by, by doing that, by investing in these big sports and keeping sports alive, it's, it's they can bring these sports to their part of the world and expose their – their kids do it because they, they're trying to shortcut that, you know, and that growing up in Australia, I went at my local running club, there was Olympians there. You know, mm. you just take that stuff for granted. Mm. You know, I, I didn't realise that was not normal until I left Australia. <laughs> you know, it's like, wow, okay. I just thought every swimming club you went to, there was an Olympic swimmer at it. But in the, a lot of parts of the world, in Asia and, and this part of the world, they're not exposed to that. So by bringing sport to themselves, they expose their kids to it. And there's, it's pretty cool. So we're doing a lot with that. Now in the triathlon space, the triathlon team's in its eighth year, um, or ninth season. So we'll do another couple of years. So there's no no end in sight for that. And now we're launching a new athletics team. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, with all the big athletics. And you got a cycling team too, right? Is that team? Yeah, Tour de France team. Yeah. So. Are you fairly hands on with that, or is Mick doing most of that, or are you? We involved? do. Yeah, we do all the, all the marketing and stuff for yeah. for all that stuff. So that's where Mana came along, my 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 agency. So mm-hmm. we run the triathlon team. We will run the athletics team. The cycling teams run separately in Europe mm-hmm. and we, we do all the backside marketing and logistics for the team, moving stuff around. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. And are you still, are you still involved in your MX endurance or Matt? Well, it used to be called yeah, yeah, Macro yeah, endurance, right? Tim Ford, yeah. Yeah. Tim Ford. With Tim, yeah. Tim, yeah. Yeah. He runs most of that. Um, we'll be pivoting that. I'm going to bring that across to the Phoenix um, foundation and just have people racing all the, all the membership can go to the, to the foundation. But yeah, I lost that. Well, 2011, so Mate. it's called Macaret, and then yeah, now it's just a little community that that run we we catch up with around the world. And we sort of plug them into everything we're doing. So it's just a it's just a little ecosystem we build. It sounds big, but it's it's no, not. No, I know, but mate, I just you know one of the things that always I've admired about you is you, you you've kept moving. You've got all these different things going. Is there anything I'm missing? It sounds. I mean, no. plus you're a dad, and plus you it's like you you got a fair bit going on, mate. No, no, it's just triathletes. We're used to multitasking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, I get, Attention I get deficit disorder. Really <laughs> I need more. What else can I be doing? Where should I be pivoting? Better. That's the old training philosophy we live by. Hundred percent. Oh well, mate, it's fantastic. Well, let, let, let's do this. Let's do, let's um, let's discuss a couple of topics. And uh, I, well, you mentioned events earlier, so maybe we'll start there. The world of triathlon. So this is going to be a bit of a deep dive in, into the sport of triathlon, um, and we're two old buggers that are going to give our views on where the sport is and, and what we think about things. Right. So, first question I'm going to pose uh, propose to us is: Are the events that we're seeing more professional than what you and I had, you know, 10, 20 years ago? When we, you know, you mentioned the PTO and Ironman and World Triathlon Clash, are they more professional now? The events? Um, I, I think there's a lot more framework to the racing. You know, we sort of went through that evolution of you know pulling our singlets out of our, our speedos and uh, you know the and, the and the boxes in the transition area and then all these changes. But we also saw the pivot in our generation of non-drafting to drafting, mm. right? So yeah. we went through that whole transition. 
Are the races more professional? Yeah, I, I guess they're, they're put on better, but are the athletes more professional is, is probably mm. a different way of saying it. And I would say there is an – I wouldn't say they are to some degree. I would say that that, that level is – there's definitely a level of science and, and performance that's come in that we just weren't exposed to and, and technology. Mm. Yeah, they're a different thinking athlete than, than we were because I, I don't know about you, but for me the – I always felt this desperation that this could run out at any time and 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 I only had a finite amount of time in the sport, so I needed to make hay while the sun shines and to be a professional meant that I was a professional in every essence of the sport, not mm-hmm. just in training, in racing, in the commercial side and in, in, in basically maximising my opportunities while I had them and my fear was they're only going to last another two years. I kept thinking in two years it's done. Mm-hmm. And I think we... We talked about it on this show before. We, Courtney Atkinson came. We were like, I was 22. I saw Courtney Atkinson, a young Australian junior, and thought, oh, I'm done. And when this kid grows up, I'm, I'm finished. Mm. And so I was always desperate to, to, to do stuff more. So I think from that perspective, the athletes all had that, that very driven, I, I want to race as much as I can. I want to I want to be as professional as I can in a short period of time. And, and a few fortunate ones like us extended our careers. But nowadays, the events are actually better. But the athletes, I, I would say, mate, they they don't communicate with each other. They, they communicate on their on their on their phones. There's there's this connectivity without them ever racing. It's sort of moving in that boxing world where the best don't come together like they used to anymore. Do you think there's? I mean, there's part of that in almost the community and the social side. I I don't know about you, but you know, we we go to these World Cup races in the '90s or whatever, right? And you'd all be in the same hotel, you'd all get up and have breakfast together. All the different countries would communicate with each other and there was a little bit more of a, I don't know, I feel, I feel like there was more bonding and then as we got yeah. more and more into the Olympics, it was like, and, and we got more collared T-shirt guys involved, you know, it was more administrators than, than, than athletes and coaches. And all of a sudden we lost that ability to sort of just sit and chat with people from all around the world. And, and not to say that has anything to do with being professional, but I feel like we lost... We lost that little bit of, yeah, I mean, I remember just sitting down with the German team or the, you know, the Danish team, whoever it was, over breakfast, and then you'd be racing them in the afternoon. I don't yeah, feel yeah. like you have that as much. Have you got that in the Super League that they all stay together? Super League, yeah. I tried the. it's basically a traveling family. Yeah, yeah. And I think talking to the athletes, that's the comparison they make between the two. Yeah. So it's just great to, to not have all those – you know, college shirt administrators there and for them to be able to hang out with their peers and, and have breakfast with them and train with others and then race their butts off in the afternoon and then get back on the plane and fly to the next round the following weekend and yeah. unpack the racing on the plane and go, ah, shit, you race good, I race shit. See the disappointment on some guy's face and the elation on someone else's face. You know, that whole that whole emotional circus that is a, a series that you're in. Some people are racing well and you, there's an envy to it and it's like, geez, I want what he's got and some people are – and that's what I think Super League does have. And mm-hmm. I, I think you're right. You, you're easily removed nowadays from that world triathlon circuit. They're in and they're out. Yeah. And so it's, it's a much more isolated and I think that's probably what I meant from the professional side of, of, of you. They, they're just – they're all in with the, their little team. They don't – they're not assessing it from their – Mm. their personal perspective. So it's a, uh, yeah, but I think from the opportunities for triathletes now are, are much more. I think the commercial opportunities oh. are probably t- uh, are tightening up for a lot of them. Um, there's a few at the top making a lot and the rest are struggling. But man, if, if you want to race like we race, you can make a, a, a oh. serious amount. 
capital now. Seriously, like it, you, no you, you could have a full calendar where you, you'd highlight some of the PTO races where the, the prize money just seems to be going up and up and up. I saw they had another really solid round of funding, and and and, and I think you know when you when you're considering if you do those three to four. PTO races. If you do those, if you do, if you do race the Super League, if you're in a few of the the world triathlons, you know the the World Series. Maybe throw in a Clash Endurance or something else. Maybe a couple of seventy point threes. You you really have opportunity to race. Um, one of the beauties I thought from COVID was there wasn't as much racing, so we actually got to see the best race race each other together yes, more yes. often. I can't tell if we're getting a little bit more diluted when we look at the races now. People are, cher- are picking which race. Am I going to do PTO? Am I going to do 70.3 Worlds? Am I going to do, you know, Collins Cups or whatever it is? I don't know. I, I, I like it that when athletes, we don't have so much that everybody has to turn up and, and race one event. I think we got, we got that in COVID. I agree with you. I think the fact that we have so many races, not many of them are competing against each other, but they have that opportunity. I think the PTO is definitely moving in that way and that distance of that PTO racing is a, is a nice distance. That's perfect. It's perfect. Yeah. 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 And, and like you said, it's you don't really need the big sponsors anymore. You've got a lot of these athletes no. coming around. And I need, but, man, I said, no, there's a hundred – I said, I'd hate to be racing with you because I said, guys, mate, I would have just been sitting there. Man, there's too many races. I was trying to fill the calendar when there wasn't as many races back in the in the 2000s. But now, like, you could fill the calendar each week with some serious money. Serious money. Well, you take the middleman out. I mean, that was the yeah. end of my, my, my career from about 2005 was I'm not going to chase sponsorships anymore. There's some yeah. big money races starting to turn up. I'm going to – I'm just going to try and win the, the, the six-figure wins when I can and – and then I don't have yeah. to worry about working with sponsors. I can just exactly. win the prize money, take the middleman out. And now, I mean, you take like a, an Ashley Gentle or um, who else is, I mean, look at, look at someone like a Hayden Wild who I had on the show and just love that kid, by the way. Um, not a kid, young man. Um, just, you know, he's, he's earning a solid six-figure amount yeah. between Super League and the World Triathlon Series. And I think he even raced the Collins Cup. But the, but the young athlete, the athletes in their 20s and 30s now, honestly, if you can be racing Super League, World Triathlon and the PTO, you don't need to be looking at Ironman. You don't need to be going to Kona. You don't need to make that your focus anymore. If you're a reasonable athlete, have a little bit of speed, have a little bit of endurance, you can seriously be making a very strong six-figure income without sponsors. You should be pursuing that as a young athlete. Of course. So what, what, I guess that comes back to the events question you made. Yeah. I think the events, the people putting on events like myself and the minute, they're doing a fantastic job, yeah. right? Now, now, now that the onus now falls back on the athlete. The athlete's got to sit there and go, okay, because a, a lot of these athletes still only want to race this. We used to complain there wasn't enough events. Now you've got an oversupply of events with great money. A lot of the athletes pick and choose. Oh, I'm just going to do five events this year. Mm. And all my argument to the to the athletes is, man, like you're in the Garden of Eden. Race, like, race. Don't take for granted, <laughs> like it could go away tomorrow, right? Like I mean, oh, race. You know, like hey, yeah. okay, well the sun shines, yeah. guys. Yeah. You know, like it's and that's sort of where I think they've been. Yeah, they, they don't realise just. The, the evolution of we've got to get to this point in the career, in, in the sport and a lot of people are, ah, it's not enough money. I'm like, what do you mean there's not enough money? There's, there's plenty of money. There's plenty, plenty of, of racing. And, and just, yeah, you to your point, it. it could all end and it will end. It's not yes. if. I used yeah. to have this mindset. I remember with Lifetime Series in the US and, and then they came up with, you know, that whole series and, and I, I, I was able to focus on that. I'm like, it's going to end. 
Brahma yes. Karate is a nice guy. He's got, he's the CEO of one of the world's biggest gym franchises, you know, with Lifetime Fitness. And he loves the sport of triathlon right now. Right yes. now. I, that doesn't mean it's going to last forever. It's tiring. Quite often yeah. they last about seven years, these events, whether it's Lifetime, High V, we've seen them all come and go. You know, the Grand Prix we had in Australia. Yeah. They don't last forever, but when they're there, grab them. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. Absolutely agree. Yeah, and yeah, that's, that's the that's, that's the lack of. I think that's what I was saying about because it's probably the wrong word choice. Professionalism of the athletes. I think it's the youthfulness. Maybe I'm just old now, and I know you're looking through <laughs> experienced glasses, and you're like, "Hey, man, if I was you, yeah. hey, race, man." Yeah, yeah. After that, because I, you know, I was talking to a bunch of them about the 2023 season because this August period's so stacked now with the yeah, uh, yeah. I'm being flipped around for the men and the, oh, oh, yeah, it's just, it's just the whole and the and the, the test event and you know, especially with the Norwegians and. Um, and they're like, oh, but at least they race. Like, uh, and, and talking to Christian and, and Gustav and, and that whole yeah. Norwegian team, they laugh. They're like, oh, everyone's preparing. You know, everyone nowadays prepares. We just race. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, man, I love it. Like, like, how hard is it to come back and forward? So how are you doing it? And it's, it's, they've got an interesting, you know, they're traveling as a, as a high-performance team. They're the first group of athletes that are training for ITU with their national federation and training for Ironman with their national federation. There is no mm. change. You don't have to one or the other so mm. they the whole system doesn't change so they can pivot back and forwards and um and they said yeah we we laugh because everyone's racing in the form but no one seems to find it anymore there's so much truth to that it's like uh, uh the the number one piece of advice that i give any young athlete is i just tell them race yeah race because yeah. there's even a Great training day doesn't equal a bad race. You get so much yeah. learning even from a bad race. Go and put yourself on start lines. It's so funny. I actually use that analogy in the company we're building with, with any question. And uh, in this tech space, as you build it, you, it's called a minimal viable product. You put out a minimal viable product every few weeks and you keep updating your product, you know? And I, I said, yeah, we got to just keep putting stuff out there because you'll see so many companies, there's so many tech companies that are all building great products, but they're not releasing them to the world. And so they're yeah. sitting there for years and years and years trying to search for perfection. And it's exactly the same as athletes. Training, 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 trying to find more, trying to be better, trying to... And they're not putting themselves on start lines. And, and yeah. that to me is the most infuriating thing. You know, it's go race. And I think I've said even on this show, if I was a high performance director of any of these countries, I'd be calling Chris McCormack, you, and saying, right, what do I need to do to get as many of my athletes from my, you know, my country onto the Super League start list? I'd be then lining up every World Cup and World Triathlon Series I can. I'd be calling Sam Renew from the PTO, and finding out how I can get my athletes to race. I mean, I want them to, I actually, as a high performance manager, that's one thing, but I actually want the athletes coming to me being desperate to race. You know, that's yep. what you're meant to be doing. Look, there was no problem getting you to race, Benno. There was like, there's some, there's some responsibility of that that needs to lie on the, because I, I always wanted, when I was a youngster, I, the, the opportunity to pin a number on and go a race against Greg Bennett or Craig Alexander or, you know, yeah. Troy Hitler or someone back here in Australia, you know, Greg Walsh, Brad Bevan. Yeah, Miles. Just, yeah. Mate, I couldn't wait. Like, <laughs> yeah, I yeah. used to get my ass kicked, right? Oh, yeah. But I'd go straight to the results and go, man, I was 30 seconds behind him in the swim this week, yeah. next week, you know. So I think that whole racing mentality, I was looking for the magazine for the next race yeah. to enter. So that, that's gone. 
that, that's 100% gone nowadays from the athletes. That, that, that decision is made by their coach as a 15-year-old. Mm. But they go on through this and they're like, oh, I'll speak to the coach whether I race next week. Are you racing this? Are you racing the grand final? Let me speak to my coach. I'm like, how, how aren't you in your head have your own vision of what you want to do as an athlete? You know, mm. like I guess we were motivated by the racing and the improvement and I guess by being a professional because there wasn't as, as wide an ecosystem so you had to make money where it was and there seemed to be a desire to to make money and to be a professional and buy things and, and, and be a professional in all sense of the, of the word, uh, not just an elite athlete per se. But um, that's sort of gone now because I think there's so many opportunities for them that a kid, can, an athlete can come along and it's great for them and make 50 grand in an event or 100 grand here and, and they can pay their lifestyle. So they still remain that lifestyle type thinking athlete, but they're not really thinking from, of the long term and, and what they should be making out of the out of the sport with all the opportunities they have. And, and I think they come out the other side, you see some of the older ones now, they go, wow, geez, I, I, I miss that. I let that opportunity go. And they, don't, they see it as they hit the sunset of their career as opposed to sitting in the middle of the yeah. day. Grabbing it while you've got it. There's almost like you're listening, li- losing a bit of that hustle, a bit of that scrappiness that I think yeah. was probably in. But where do you yeah. think the sport's going to go the next 10 years? You know, we're talking about it's it, it's in a pretty good place right now with PTO, Ironman, World Triathlon, all of those Super League. Everything's happening right now. What, what do you think? Next ten years, what does it look like? Look, I, I think you know, I, and maybe I'm looking at it through old eyes again. I think I think the sport's sort of not plateaued, but it's 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 there's so much there. But there's so many. It competes against from a mass participation point of view. I guess we'll stay there, and because that's still at the core of what feeds triathlon per se. It's fan base. It's people that know about it. Um, there's so many opportunities. This ultra running's become big. This grass off, you know, what do you call it? Gravel riding's becoming bigger and bigger. And you're seeing a, a much more pivots between age group triathletes in their 40s, 50s. I know a group of my friends that I grew up with here that they do a bit of ultra running now where they used to just be triathletes. Mm. Now they do ultra runs, they do mm. trail bike, you know, they, they spread their, I guess, their expenditure across multiple different facets. Now, a lot of those events are owned by Ironman anyway, so I guess it's the same company. <laughs> but um, they're, not, they're not just triathletes per se. I think on the short course side, I think um, coming from seeing, seeing the system in Australia, I think the lack of racing for young kids is a limiter on, on bringing kids to the sport. Oh, massive. I see mm. it. You know, there's no, no pathways for them. They don't mm. do anything. Mm-hmm. They, they, there's no races. They go into a 1K time trial in the swimming pool and a, and a 5K run, get a time, and, called, and they qualify for a world championship. Mm. That doesn't work. No. Like it's, no, no, that, no, that, no. That, that's, that's the death of the sport mm. from, a, from the grassroots level. So I think we're at a plateau. Um, I think it's in a, in a healthy place. I think the, the stakeholders need to probably get more aligned and, and start working together from the perspective of the sport first, but it's not going to happen. That's, I guess, very ideological in my mind. It's mm. just not going to happen. It's business and and behind it all is big business. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. We've got a recession coming. Is that going to affect mass participation? I don't know. Um, but you know, I think overall I think the sport's healthy. Um, I, I think we're at the top of the hill from a mass participation point of view. I think Ironman is always going to encourage people. I went to the Barcelona Ironman this year and hadn't been at an event for five or six years. Uh, I did the, the 70.3, had a slight five and a half thousand athletes. But I must admit, watching that finish line again, standing there and watching the Ironman athletes come over, uh, uh, that is a very, very powerful product. Mm-hmm. Uh, very powerful. And, and it changes people's lives and it's, it's very inspiring. And so I think that's always a lure and it's always going to grab people. But I think we, uh, 
yeah, we need to do more for the for the for the grassroots, for the kids, for the next generation, because you're just going to run out of them. It's interesting. It's really yeah. interesting. I mean, we're we're seeing you know the the professional triathlete organisation come you know come about this last few years and. They seem to be just throwing money all around, <laughs> you know. I feel like I feel like if I was still racing, you'd be just doing everything you can to get in the way of that, right? <laughs> it's like it's like look at right now they're just throwing money around. Yeah. Sort of I, I see them doing a lot of positives too. So I'm not just saying they're just throwing money around, but they want to try and they're getting into the event side of things. Um, which I was a little surprised at. I, I kind of figured a professional triathlete organization that's run by the athletes for the athletes, professional athletes. I was surprised that they started running their own events, but it's a, it's another whole category. Um, again, I always look at sustainability of all of these things. Impressed to see that they, they had a decent round of funding. I agree with you. I think Ironman is just Ironman. I think they've done well to market themselves for 40 plus years that, that, that it's like they're here now and they're here to stay. I see other events, you know, Clash Endurance and, and others. It's be, you know, that wants to sort of do them in the, in the racing track, you know, Daytona type racing tracks and things here. I don't know how sustainable that's going to be if athletes want to keep coming back and doing that kind of style of racing, if that, that fires them up. But, you know, you make some good points about um, the youth and how do they get into the sport and are they excited about it like we were? Um, yeah. You know, for me, I can't tell if the sport's become more clinical. Um, yeah, you can't, you can't get excited about it unless there's something to get excited about. Yeah. I, I think young kids are just as inspired as we are. Yeah. They're just as, they're exposed to so much more than we were. It was very pinpoint. You know, turn wide world sports on, there it was, right? Yeah. So now there's just there's so many avenues that communicate with young kids. We're just not, we just don't give them any racing opportunities. Look at the best countries in the world. They also have the most amount of events for kids. Oh, for sure. You know, like I, I see here in Australia, it's a disgrace that what, what's happened. Well, that was look look back in the nineties. It was yeah. we, we had more racing than anybody, and it was all live television, and we were put and, under and like, high pressure from a young age. And now you look at the French. The French have all the racing, and suddenly they've got all the top athletes in the world, and and, and all the great de- young developing athletes. The UK, yeah. lots of racing. Yeah. Only under twenty three worlds, under twenty. It's. The mix is there. You know what to do. I just don't understand why no one's doing it. It's race. Put, get, just races, people. We don't need high-performance pathways where we, we test and study athletes and we get more people with collared shirts on trying to tell our yeah. athletes how to race when there's no racing. Yeah, there's no racing. Absolutely no racing. <laughs> it's, it's obscene. For the young, for the young. We've, we've spent half the show talking about there's so much racing. Yeah, but now you're seeing 21, 22-year-old kids pivoting to Ironman. Yeah. I'm yeah. Like, why? Yeah. Like why that, that that's that's where you realize there's a there's a hole there's a problem mm-hmm. right and and i think we were very fortunate that there was a crossover between you know it was like there was there was no 70.3 so you either did our itu or world triathlon racing or ironman and and there was a few like you know chicago's and those big events out of the states that existed but the crossover was now there's such separate entities that an athlete pivots from one to the other and they're done, mm. right? Like, so it's, you're getting, I, I find these young kids, 23, 24, doing Ironman and they're fast. Don't get me wrong. I'm like, of course you're going to be fast. You're 20, but man, how long is your career going to last? I know that beats you up. Oh, beats yeah, you up, man. And takes away your speed, which is the only thing that differentiates age from youth. Mm. Like, keep it as long as you can. Yeah, <laughs> that's interesting. You know, watching this Ironman, you know, Kona Ironman last year was just insane. And how yeah. it was, I think it was the youngest podium yeah. finish ever, right? And, and, and those four guys that all went 
under 7.44 or faster, yeah. all very young. It was like it was a hell of a race, but my goodness, that I, I, like you, I was like, wow, is that sustainable for all of them? I mean, maybe you and I are going to be completely proved wrong. Yeah, I agree. There's, there's a lot more science behind it now than there was yeah. in the days, yeah. and they're a lot more dialed in. Yeah. And for whatever reason, I, I find that maybe talking about it from the history of the sports perspective, sad that there's such a rush to get to Kona because is that the only pathway that they see right now? You know, mm. I when there's the Olympics and there's a the world triathlon and there, there's so you know, much, there's so much. You win your super league, isn't it? you win your super league a hundred grand or something? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, it's like, like a hundred grand. It's like, make quarter of a million bucks if you're, if you're to win like someone like 250 grand, man. Like I, I remember <laughs> thinking, wow, if that was my days, our days, Mate, I would have done that. I'd have been world traveling. I would have popped a couple of these seventy point threes. The PTO races, maybe all over them. Okay, okay. Here's a question for you that we can both discuss. How competitive do you think we would be now? Look, I think the the equipment and, and technology has taken it to an, another level. Hundred percent. Yeah. You know, you see that in. Uh, we did that sub seven event this year and I was able to get behind the scenes and all the new tech with shoes. And mm. it's not like I, I'm, I was definitely one of those old school guys like yourself that I can train harder than anyone. I'm going to beat you. <laughs> right. So, um, and that was sort of a, my modus operandus really. It was just, okay, just train hard. Mm. And I never really got into the equipment stuff until we started doing the non-drafting in, in the States. And I realized that TT bikes and that did matter. Yeah, I remember being with you when we first got aero bars. And- <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, like, shit, this stuff like, makes a huge difference. Yeah. And now it's next level. They got equipment. They yeah. got all their all their uniforms are fast. They got the super sapien stuff that they mm-hmm. stick to when the when to eat mm. what their glucose level is, not like thumb in the air like we were. Do, do yeah. I need to eat now or geez, oh, I'm vomiting? I should have need to eat now. <laughs> <laughs> I think athletically we're just as as talented. I think they're much more dialed in, they're much more aware of, of the numbers. Because mm. I had this conversation only recently. They're like, Oh, power meters were around when you were racing. I said, oh, I remember the first person I ever saw with a power meter ever in my life was Chris Lieto. Mm. And I remember thinking, What do you measure your power for? And what's that? And then everyone had them. And I remember getting one, an SRM, because everyone else had them. But remember and the I, SRMs had a three, what was it, a 3% difference? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It was so- standard deviations <laughs> out. We didn't know if it was right anyway. And, and that was that was the best you could get. Yeah. And then I was looking at the numbers. I didn't even know what, what I meant anyway. So I was like, who cares? Like I never yeah. looked at it. So yeah. and then, and so, and I, you know, we used just to, I did Kona on a Timex watch. I used to click it and watch and, and run every mile. I hope the mile markers were the right distance because that was my run pace. Yeah. But now if you watch Kona this year, you watch Gustav Eden, and he's looking at that watch and that pace every, I'd say, 150, 200 metres, he glances at his watch and that's giving him instant pace. So they, they're able to control things a lot more. I think it would have been just fine competing in this era. I just think you would, there's a lot more you'd ha- you'd be exposed to and have to know. And, you know, speaking to Blumenfeld and these guys, they know their blood work, their numbers. Oh, their it's, numbers, it's, yeah. It's quite impressive. It's quite impressive. But It's no, funny, you think- know, I, I'm not sure my personality would have loved the racing today. Um, I, I'm not – don't get me wrong. I don't mind a little bit of data. I don't mind a little bit of science. But I also – I kind of look back and go – I had a little bit of talent, but I love the fact that the sport was open to whoever wanted to just be, grab it by the bit and just work 
the bloody hardest, right? And it was that kind of mentality that I, I loved about the sport. I loved it. I'm not saying it was the right way to train or anything, but it, because it was a little bit the Wild West and we had a bit of an idea how to train, but it wasn't like today. That For me personally, that was how my personality would have worked. Whereas yeah, yeah. now, you know... I just think that data would have hurt me more mentally than it would have helped me physically. I think it would have outweighed yeah. it. <laughs> uh, uh, all sports have gone through this evolution. I, I'm a mad boxing fan and you yeah, see the yeah. fighters from the 80s and, you know, the, the Ray Leonard's and the Roberto Duran, these fighters that were scrappers and hard men. Man, they fought. They had they had some skills, don't get me wrong, mm. but there was knockouts and, and everything. And now you move to the Floyd Mayweather era and this modern era, it's a lot more – refined and they're all so you know it's more boxy they don't there's not the big knockouts anymore there's not the big right on points and it's what i see triathlons become there's no more of that brave racer that that just can get away with it everything is so refined like even even watching kona this year they just write in those numbers hmm. yeah. you know, guys rocked off and see i'll see in six they've lost that spontaneity of the race like your whole win in monaco for that world cup in, in 1997 was because you made a decision early on that bike. I'm going. Yeah, I, and you, you, like under the new, you wouldn't have gone. No, you know, that's true, you, isn't it? You, you, you lose the, you use the, the the sense of play. Yeah. Almost like, and for me, it was always play. When I was free to play, is when I really felt like, and and I went above and beyond whatever. I always felt like, I look at the data and the science sometimes and go, is it limiting? You know, yeah. it's, it's it's like. Is there potentially that you're not going where your body's never been before? Are you missing out on something? You know, is no. it holding you back? That's a question, I guess. It's, it's, I, I, I think it would have been interesting. Like you, I agree. I think we would have been competitive. I don't think the body makeups are that much more different. I think the way they're training, the equipment for sure. Have you put on a pair of those um, sho- yeah, but, shoes? Yeah, I, I put some Puma, a pair of Pumas on. Um, just before sub seven last year, I was trying them, and I, I thought that you talking about the running shoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought my Achilles was going to because it's such a they give so much back. <laughs> I actually thought, geez, this is just going to kill my Achilles off. Like yeah. I can tell. But then when I went back to them, the guys like, no, 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 no. Get used to it. it's just the new firing of your Achilles. It's taken all that shock pressure off your Achilles and your, and it's it's giving back in the thing. Just play with it. It will not blow your Achilles out. And he was right. And I tell you what, you're like, come on. It's insane. It's insane. I'm like, come on, man. It's insane. Like, I put them on. Ironman, at the back end of an Ironman when no. it's, it's all doms, when you, you know, you're yeah. not in the back end of an Ironman, you can run. You just, your legs are too sore back in the day. Now that just gives back. But I mean, in, that, that's taken away the doms so that you can see why the marathon times now are going to come right there. Well, it's not just a marathon. Think about it. If you're training in those kind of shoes or if you're doing Ironman events or you're doing you're doing that kind of work that you're not damaging your body. You can yeah, increase yeah. your running miles and do it with less fatigue. So then you have more energy to do better work on the bike. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And so right. I remember putting on a pair on of the, I was coaching an athlete in 2018 and he, he, he'd gone out. So I grabbed his shoes and, and went for a quick little run in them. And I was like, I was that tempted almost to make a little comeback. <laughs> I was yeah. like, holy oh, crap. The, yeah. I, I, and look, I'm not taking anything away from today's athletes. They're, they're phenomenal. It doesn't turn donkeys into racehorses, no, right? Still- exactly. But, yeah, you know, amazing. I think it was Terenzo Bazzoni. Remember that year, Terenzo, he kind of won an Ironman, then the week after he won a 70.3 in South America, and then he was, you know, and I love 
Terenzo, but I think he was the first one I ever saw in these sh- super shoes, you know, and he was just backing up race after race. I was like, there's something, <laughs> there's something here. There's something going on here. This guy's on it. He was an early adopter and he did such a good job with it. Yeah, without question. Yeah. Without question. And the bike technology now with all the, you know, the 3D printed um, aero bars where they can get in these amazing tuck positions. How are they to allowed to do those, some of those? I thought it wasn't illegal to have that. You know how they have foils around their arms and everything now? I thought we weren't yeah, allowed to do that. 3D. They, they get everything 3D printed. Yeah. So everything 3D printed, I don't know, and they, they work. So if you go to a canyon or a, I don't know if Specialized do it anymore, but a lot of the big mm. – you go in there, you do your fit, and then they 3D print the the bars. Like we used to just get what you got. <laughs> and then you yeah, okay, and, and try and tilt it up a little bit and – it's just there's so much there's so yeah. much more that they can dial in without question. It's 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 really cool. I love it. I think that evolution of sport. Oh, for sure, for sure. Something that I really enjoy and, and like, and, and I think, wow, it's just it's it's cool to witness. Mm. Um, I think we we very easily forget how good some athletes of the past were. Like Mark Allen was oh. phenomenal. Oh man! And had the Olympics been around, he would have won the Olympics. You know, but oh, I never won the. I heard people say he never won the Olympics. I'm like, mate, there was no Olympics around when he did. Yeah, no. sport. Okay, well, let's, you know, let's throw this one out then. Who do you think is the, the greatest we've ever seen do the sport of triathlon in the men? Uh, I'm, still, I'm still a Mark Allen fan just because I guess I looked at him through kids' eyes as well. He was such a mm. such an inspiration to me. But I, I do think Jan Fredino is is the most balanced across the disciplines. Christian Blumenfeld's getting there. Mm. And, but Alan Brownlee is the one who's excited me the most as, a, as an athlete to watch. Like I watched that 2009 – you know, I watched him in, in, in Beijing in 08 when mm. he was on the front. And then that 2009 season, I was sitting in Boulder Boom. preparing for a mate. And then that whole journey to London, yeah. uh, mate, what he did in that three-year period was just not – against Harvey Gomez, who was the, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, the king. Right? People forget how good Harvey was. Mate. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. And then, you know, and he took out Jan Fredino, the Olympic champion, who – yeah, shone a little bit in that period. You were racing that period. Mm. But when Chris, when Alistair was on and not injured, the guy dominated. And he could do it from anywhere. He'd lead the swim, he'd dominate the bike, he'd smash the run. Well, okay, you know, I'm not running much. I'll do, he could just do what he wanted. And he changed that whole – so he excited me a lot without question. So you, but, you've been very political here. Pick, give me one of them and, I'll, and then I'll tell you mine. Oh, I, I think – well, my favourite's Mark Allen. Just, I just – Okay. All right. So Mark Allen for you. I'm going to second your Mark Allen. Um, And again, you and I are probably a little bit fans, groupies, whatever you want to call them, Mark Allen. But I also watching Mark Allen and the way he moved, um, the guy, not that how you look has anything to do with performance, but he, the way he moved through the water on the bike and across the ground. And I think had you brought him into today's era with the the bikes and the running shoes and everything else, I still think he'd be the man. Um, Like you watching people like Alistair Brownlee, there's just a mongrel about him that there's a grit that you just get inspired by. Um, you know, and, and, and honestly, someone like a Javier Gomez, I mean, his, his record, he's won more races than Jan, Alistair, Johnny, everybody combined. The guy has won because he races. I've yeah. never seen anybody race more than Javier Gomez. So in terms of wins, I don't think anybody's going to – and the level of wins. I mean, we're talking – he's got like 10 world championships or whatever. I mean, the guy, the guy doesn't stop winning. And then Jan Fredino, he just looks so good. So you're right. It is a, it is a tough group, but I, I'm going to go with Mark Allen as well. How about in the women? Um, I've always loved MJ, yeah. Keely Jones, because I, yeah, well, I live with her and live for that whole era and, and watched her race and her performances at World Championships. And she was never going to do Ironman. 
and came and did it twice, got a second and a first. She won the silver at Sydney Olympics, which should have been a gold. Which was a gold. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like I just think and, – and, and people are unaware. It was understanding the time which you do, what, what certain events meant during that time. Like to win mm. a Chicago back then was as big as anything there is today, right? To yeah. win, a, yeah, yeah. win a, a, an Alcatraz. She won like eight of them, nine of them. And, and, and you know, what, what she won was remarkable. You know, people look at them and go, oh, yeah, well, what's Chicago mean? I'm like, well, at the time. There wasn't any Chicago, other races. Yeah. yeah. Chicago was a world championship. Yeah. Everyone was there. Yeah. That was bigger than a lot of the races you're seeing today because everyone went to those events. So mm. she she won on the biggest stages at that period of time against the best in the world at that period of time and did it year after year. You know who I'm enjoying now, if you want to talk about today's generation? I agree with you, with McKeeley, by the way. Um, yeah. Flora Duffy. I know oh, she. Yeah. Awesome. Flora is awesome. What is she is doing this past decade? Is I don't think we're talking about it quite enough. I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, Olympic gold. She's got ten world titles across ITU. You know, the triathlon world series and um, and Xterra and things yeah. like that. She swims, bikes, and runs with the very, very best in the world. I mean, it's. She's in terms of actually just looking at skill set: swim, bike, and run. Forget about titles, Flora. Big shout out. Um, I, 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 think, I think she'll be good to half Ironman distance. I don't know if she'll love the Ironman if she ever decides yeah. to go that long. Um, it's really size. She can do whatever she wants. But yeah. you, you, must that, you must get to that area, that, like that, that area of success where and you get to be selective of what you enjoy to do. You should have went there, right? You know, well, of course. Really Why one. would you go to Ironman? She'd be taking a pay cut. She'd be taking a pay cut. At the end of the day, if – I don't really love it. Yeah. I, I actually love what I'm doing, refining my craft to the co- and competing against. So I, I understand that. I, I watched Flora in, in Abu Dhabi and went, "Wow!" Yeah, you know, because I knew how well how good Georgia Taylor Brown was going. Yeah. I know how good Flora Duffy is. Don't get me wrong, mm. but uh, she come off less racing, and usually, you know, I, I usually I usually pick the momentum with the racer to some degree. They, they've, yeah, they've of course, yeah, bit, yeah, they're in form. A little bit, they're in form, and uh, and she just dominated. And when she did, you know, she came off that seventy point three where she was fifth, and she was, I think, disappointed that with with herself more than anything, and just went, you know what, I'm going back to what I love, and and I look at her and think she's the one to beat in Paris, and, and I agree, I'm with you. I think she's uh, her bike skills are remarkable, mm. like oh. and and the way she runs off that bike is is. Oh. There's a lot of work for a lot of the other women have to do in order to dislodge her because I don't see her slowing down at all. And, and the thing I love about Flora is you and I both knew her in, the, in you know, 15 years ago. There was nothing about Flora that we like, she was going to be in a conversation when we talk about who's one of the greatest to, to do the sport. Like she yeah. had obviously some talent, but there was there was nothing to, in, to be indicating how good she was she going was to be. Biker. I remember as a kid, she was more of a swim biker. Run was a real oh, run, run, run was not good at all. But over yeah. years and years and years of just keep turning up and staying consistent and doing that consistency with intent and passion, yeah. she's come out rocking. I mean, then you've got to include people like Daniela Riff. Um, yeah. Just what she's done, dominated that world. Uh, look, we could go on and on about the greatest in the sport and everything, and, 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 and you and I probably have. We, we shared enough rooms and st- <laughs> hotel rooms and training and we'd go on and on about this before we'd have to race each other the next morning. But, you know, I think what the Norwegians are doing, Gustav Eden and 
Christian yeah, Blumenfeld, yeah. they're going to be in this conversation if they're not already. The fact that yeah, you yeah. know Christian's an Olympic gold medalist and you know the seventy point three world, yeah, seventy yeah. point three. Yeah, he's got them all. <laughs> I know. Yeah, hang on, hang on. We're kind of yeah, we, in eighteen months. The thing yeah. is, it don't happen in eighteen months. Mate. Yeah. You know? yeah, you meant to do it over ten years. Hang on, this yeah. isn't right. <laughs> He's amazing. He's amazing. Yeah, and they're, they're two great guys as well. And it's been it's been phenomenal to watch that system. And it's not you know, like you say eighteen months, but we've seen Christian battle on the ITU World Triathlon scene for ten years before yeah, yeah. We, we really saw the breakthrough. We brought him across the Super League at Hamilton Island. That's right. Our, yeah, yeah. So I brought him because I wanted a flag, and I remember ringing Dag Oliver, who ran who runs Horseman. I said, Dag, I need a Norwegian. Who do you recommend? No so, way. Young, I thought, bring him out. I'm done. So I ring Christian Bird. Do you want to come to Australia? Yeah, I was going to go to Maulba. I said, stuff Maulba. Come to, come to Super League in Hamilton Island. I'll fly in. And he's like, oh, done. And so we became, we met Christian Eddie. If you watch the Super League Hamilton Island, he, he's a young kid mm. winning the Eliminators and the thing. He's in everything. And he's and you start to see that racing. Oh, he loved grit. it. He loves the grit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You're going everywhere and you're like, oh, I loved it. And, I'm like, oh. and then to see his evolution over the last, what, five, six years has been really, really cool. That really is cool. cool. I didn't know that you brought him up. That's real. I do remember, I now remember seeing him on, on that Hamilton Island race that you guys put on. Um, so cool, mate. Hey, let's let's fast forward this this show. I've kept you for an hour and I kind of want to um, just ask you a few final questions that we can both discuss, but, and these are a bit more, these are a little bit more rapid fire type, type ones. Okay, just going back, going a long way back, what, what would you tell yourself, um, you know, your 18-year-old self? What would you go back and tell yourself? What would I tell myself, an 18-year-old self? Um, um, keep chasing what you're doing. It's a great mm. – the direction you're going is a good one. Yeah. It's a good life. You're going to have it. Yeah, so I, and I'd probably say slow down a little bit in your head. As always, as always ADD or hyperactive, I would uh, <laughs> slow I, down. I, I wouldn't want you to slow down, buddy. That wouldn't have been good for the rest of us. I think, uh, you know, I had Belinda Granger on and we were discussing the greatest storyteller in the world is Chris McCormack. And, and it's just so fun to, you know, sit down, have a drink with you and, and share stories. Um, I'm going to answer this one too. I think I would go back and tell myself to just be a bit more confident. I think I, I lacked... I th- always thought everybody knew what they were doing and, and I felt l- a little bit, I, I'd go back and give myself a little slap and say, hey, it's okay. Be yeah, confident yeah, yeah. who you are and what you're doing. All right, mate, here we go. Next one. This one could be a bit tougher for you, but who would you want to have dinner with? Three people, non-family, living or dead, that you'd, you'd want to have a dinner with. Anybody in the world. Three people. Uh, I always go Muhammad Ali and I know everyone says that, but I, was, uh, I would love to sit down and, and have yeah. that conversation. At a dinner for sure. Um, I'd like to have probably my mum again. Oh. Uh, only because, yeah. Yeah, now I'm older and she was, yeah, she'd passed when I was so young. I didn't mm. think I was young at the time, 24, but yeah, it was, I remember she was that. Young. I remember that. Um, so, yeah, I just, I would love to know who she was as a person. You only knew her as my mum, but now you're older and you've got kids of your own, you know. Yeah, yeah. And third person would probably be, what else could I go? Jeez, it's a hard question, better. It is a hard one. Well, how about I'll go? I'll give three, and then you okay. might like one of mine. So I want one that's going to be a bit of fun and a bit of banter. So I'd go The Rock, 
Bill oh. Burr, the comedian, and Joe Rogan. Oh, yeah, like, and Joe Rogan. I, like I think Joe Rogan, Bill Burr, and The Rock, we'd have a really f- dinner. <laughs> I, I'd, go, I'd go Chappelle and, and I'd come to your, I'd listen to your conversation. I'd have a, I wouldn't want to have Chappelle or Bill Burr either. That'd, uh, be, that'd be fun. One of those, one of those guys. Yeah, I think. They could have the whole conversation. Uh, I could just <laughs> sit back and listen. I'm more than happy just to sit back and listen and, and drink a nice glass of wine or my tequila that I'm yeah. into. Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah, you could. All right, mate. Well, okay, I'm going to finish now. These are super rapid fires. Are you ready? Yes, done. One book you would recommend? One book I'd recommend is 12 um, Rules for Life by Jordan Peterson. Yeah, great book, isn't it? I love Jordan. Yeah. You know, I, I would add my book is uh, probably Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. Do you ever read the Nike story? Yeah, no, no. I've, I've watched, there's a documentary on it, which was fascinating. Oh, cool. I haven't seen the doc. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I've enjoyed Must that one. All right, two most used apps on your phone. Um, two most used is Instagram and um, my Comsec trading app. <laughs> really? <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, are you fit right now? Are you reasonably fit? Uh, I was fit, but now I'm not. Since, but now I'm, tra- I'm training for the London Marathon now. Are you so really? Start- yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeez, weren't you enough. planning to do that before COVID? I remember you had a yeah, bet. Now we're coming back to, around to it, so we're all like, okay, so it's April 26 this year. And do you still have your bet? Didn't you have a big bet on it or something? Yeah, yeah, a whole bunch of the boys, yeah, yeah, we're all going. I love it. Yeah. All right, <laughs> toughest race you've ever done? Um, for me, it was always, it's going to be Kona. I know, I know. Yeah. Always hard, yeah. I'd say Borneo 93. <laughs> <laughs> Borneo, I don't know if anybody knows, right on the equator. And it started at 1 p.m. I remember racing with Locke Farmer House and a few others. And and uh, it was so hot. It was ridiculous. <laughs> it was every, the fastest run was 41 minutes by Dimitri Gag for the 10K. And everybody just walked and swore that it was just brutal. Anyway, first job. My first job was at uh, Sizzler. <laughs> yes, me too. Well, actually, I was a labourer before Sizzler. <laughs> Sizzler in, yeah, year 12 in school. I love it. <laughs> All right. Out of 10, how cool are you? Um, if you ask me, I thought I was in the eights and nines, but if you ask my kids, well under five. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I figured uh, I, I wanted to answer this one as well. So I, I, I figure I'm, I, I feel like I'm becoming cooler the more I just – accept who I am these days. I'm not trying yeah. to be anybody else but myself. And I think when you can get to that point, you do just feel yeah, definitely. good. All right. Who would you want to play a movie of your life? Uh, Leo. Leo. He's just my favorite. <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio. Leonardo DiCaprio. He's not the right guy, but he's my favorite actor. So if anyone's <laughs> playing me, Leo can do it. <laughs> I love it. I'm going to pick Cillian Murphy from Peaky, Peaky Blinders. You know? Oh, okay. You, do you, you ever watch that show? Oh, Peggy Blinders, yes, yes. Oh, mate, he's, he's the, the dark egg guy. He, he's the he's Tommy. He's the main oh, bro- okay. mother, he, he, main brother. He's the one that leads the gang. Very cool. Yeah. All right. Uh, which decade of music is best? I like eighties and nineties. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. That's easy. Unless there's a good remix these days of an eighties song, I'm happy to listen. Yeah, to exactly. That. But it's a re- exactly <laughs> the, the, the foundation, the framework of the music is from that. Yeah, exactly. All right. Favorite race. Favorite one you've ever done. Um, my favourite race to do every year. I, I used to like doing Alcatraz. Yeah. Because uh, I had friends in San Francisco, so it was a great week away. Yeah. From Alcatraz. And then Noosa was always a great weekend here in Australia. Yeah. Just um, the race was fun and the, 
And I used to like the racing from a from a holistic point of view. It's the the place, the venue, yeah, the actual race, the organisation, the vibe, your friends. It was. Yeah, that whole experience with those were always two great races. Yeah, two ones. And you, you'd add Roth to that, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, it was a different experience. It was more of a race, a brilliant race. For yeah, me. right, right, right. I miss the other things that I guess when I look back now were fun, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, I get out. it. I get it. The parties and everything that went with it. Parties. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm going to add, um, I always loved Malula Bar. I'll never forget that race with you where we both came first and second out of the water, which for everybody listening, that never happened where we would get first and second out of the water together um, because it was a decent-sized surf. And so Malula Bar was a favourite. Hamburg was a, was pretty cool just because I've never raced in such crowds. Um, yep. And then LA and New York just because I had a bit of success there. But um, all right, where's somewhere you haven't been that you'd like to go? Um, somewhere I haven't been that I'd like to go is, honestly, I'd like to go to Paris and that in the winter. Hmm. Mm. In at the, the time of year, just more so. I've pretty, pretty much been everywhere I want to go, like most places around the world. Yeah. Uh, but I'm, I've only done them in summers, and I'd love to go for that winter experience only because you see the photos and then you think, oh, my Paris in winter would be lovely or, you know, so. You, you know, Laura and I did that one year. We, 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 did, we did a world trip from Noosa. We were in Noosa and we were like, let's get out of here. And we had all these points. I don't know why we had to do it. There was a meeting we had to do in Switzerland. That's right. And so we said, let's do a world ticket. And I did it all on points, whether using United or everybody. We went business class all around the world. And we went to Switzerland. We went through Qatar and then we went to Switzerland. We, then we caught the train up to Paris in the middle of winter, you know, yeah, and yeah. it was beautiful. And then we flew to New York and we did a few nights in New York. And then we went to back to home to Boulder, checked it's out the house. a very different feeling though, eh? the oh, winter than it is in summer. Was, yeah. It was fun, but you can kind of do it if you just jump on a plane and just go for a week, two weeks and just, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Well, that's exactly what I want to do. We're yeah. just going to get through our kids. Oh, <laughs> get- I know. This was pre-kids for me. Yeah, yeah. Come on, kids. Oh. All right, last, last, uh, last question of the episode. What's your greatest movie of all time? Uh, well, I still love Braveheart. Mm. Uh, and I like it. Yeah, old. <laughs> and I do, I do like The Wolf of Wall Street because I like Leo. He just uh, makes me laugh that whole movie. That's brilliant. Just, uh, Isn't that yeah. movie brilliant? <laughs> I know, mine's a bit sappy. But my, mine is just uh, uh, Chariots of Fire. I like oh, Char- I The Notebook. No. <laughs> Serendipity. <laughs> Serendipity. <laughs> I can't say I've even watched them. Uh, but anyway, mate, this has been awesome. Just just to catch up, buddy. Yeah, you know, it's, it's been two years. It's it's too long. If you're ever in South Florida, please let us know. I'm coming over for the Formula One in Miami in oh, May. Oh, seriously? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So we'll, we'll have to catch up. Yeah, definitely. Please please send me a note when you do. Um, I, I've got a few connections in that Formula One world, so maybe we'll try and get down yeah. there ourselves all right buddy what's next for you just uh new year's now i'm going, going to the gym my day one day the gym. <laughs> come I'm back here we go yeah all the time all the kids are going to thailand we're all going to in uh three weeks so i thought i better cram because you're gonna have to have the shirt off and <laughs> you know, i don't think my kid's heckling me yeah you dad, gotta get, gotta get. <laughs> dad can you put a shirt on buddy it's disgusting <laughs> so i thought i'd try and all yeah, right, start well, this was fantastic, mate, and thanks for coming on and just having a bit of banter and chatting about the sport. And I found it very entertaining. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. It was it was a lot of fun. Yeah, Everybody listening, you can find the show notes and timestamps and everything else at bennettendurance.com forward slash media. Thanks a lot for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Patreon page 
or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.